The following podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the views and opinions expressed therein are solely those of the speakers and do not represent those of their employers. Welcome to Channel KRT, the podcast, which as of today has reached 50 episodes! Woo! Yay! We did it! We made it, but at what cost? I'll never be clean again. <laughs> I am the hollow shell of the man who was once Tyler Green. I'm Kit Quinn, and I am sad to report that no, we are not reviewing the Stuart Gordon classic Reanimator, especially given how much honey I shrunk the kids we reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> Every day I wake up! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll celebrate first, we'll minge later, okay? Agreed. (laughs) I'm I'm Randy, by the way. (laughs) And to help us celebrate, we have two very special guests with us. You know them from the Funny Underground Music Project, you know them from Mighty Magiswords, and you know them from their podcast, Kyle and Luke Talk About Tunes. Please welcome Kyle A. Carosa and the great Luke Ski. Woo! Woo! Yeah! I can't feel no more. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get used to that. I, I stopped feeling things after the 10th episode of this show, so... <laughs> I stopped feeling as soon as we got to Ghosts. So, like, I watched all those Star Trek episodes with Jeffrey Combs in them for nothing? Oh, I'm so I'm, sorry. I'm sorry I had to find out this way. I'm just kidding. I, was, I watched all the episodes of Star Trek anyway, and Jeffrey Combs is the man. Damn straight. I watched all those Family Feud episodes with Ray Combs for nothing? <laughs> <laughs> I listened to Kooky Kooky Lend Me Your Comb for nothing. <laughs> nice. We've reached the top of the comedy pyramid. Kyle, you're the ginchiest. <laughs> the grinchiest if it was a Christmas episode. <laughs> You're a mean one, Mr. Kit, Randy Tyler, I don't know. That's okay, there's already plenty of people pretending to be Jim Carrey in this movie. Huzzah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to preface this by saying a huge, huge thank you to everybody who's joined us on this amazing journey of a podcast. I'm so grateful for all of you. Thank you for supporting us. God bless you beautiful fucking people. Not just our guests, but every single person who has made sure to listen to Any episode of our show, whether it be every episode or just a minute of our show, just thank you so much for giving us the time of day. Like, I didn't think we would get this far with the show, quite honestly, but like doing it with, you know, just not only our amazing guests, but also Kit and Randy, just, God, this was such a great endeavor and i can't wait to keep going i love you guys and this has been i love you too it's just it has been so amazing i've become more confident with being on the internet and i'm just so grateful to have had this opportunity and i'm looking forward to so many more in the future i wanted to preface this because i also wanted to say well We've made it. We've covered every single topic in our original PSA. Yes! Woo! We did it, baby! We did it. And my God, I wanted to say all the positive stuff first because this movie was not a positive experience at all. (laughs) No, it was the complete opposite, as a matter of fact. This is probably one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. How did this get a spinoff show? We've found it. I Or I found it, anyway. Probably the worst topic since Michael Jackson's Ghosts. 
That is how bad this was. It's absolutely a tie between Michael Jackson's ghosts and this. I was worried that this was like somebody on the show's favorite thing and that like <laughs> uh, hating it was going to be like some horrible experience for me. I am so relieved Aww. that all you guys hate this too. It's funny that you mention it, Kyle, which because I'll get into my relationship with this movie later because I have some band-aids I need to rip off here. <laughs> oh boy, I, I'm ready. <laughs> but before we do that, I am so glad that we have Kyle and Luke on because you guys have actually worked with Cartoon Network. So could you guys tell us a little bit about that? I said, hey, Kyle, can I work at Cartoon Network? And he said, yes. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> you just showed up at Cartoon Network's front door, asked them for a job, and they said, yeah, fuck it, go ahead. That's not exactly how it went. <laughs> it's like the Weird Al show theme song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the story of a guy named Luke. Yeah, gave him one of those rich and famous contracts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Luke, do you want to explain how it actually went? Well, you, you should go first, because uh, the story starts with you, as far as you working in the animation industry, which lead, led to you having a show and all that. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, I thought we were starting with, like, uh, yeah, no. how you got involved. Oh, yeah. But, okay, yeah. So, at, like, the, at the beginning of my uh, animation in California career, like, one of the first things I managed to actually do was sell my own short to uh, Nickelodeon Federator for random cartoons. And I made a short called Moobeard the Cow Pirate. Um, and so, like, from that point forward, I was, like, pitching something, at least one project, usually several, every year until this happened. Like, and, you know, my animation career was kind of struggling along until uh, I got uh, to do uh, boards on Fanboy and Chum Chum. Uh, I got to meet nice. Nickelodeon's talent coordinator yes. while I was... While I was, uh, I'm sorry, Cartoon Network's talent coordinator while I was there, you know, through just some networking within the project. Uh, and I was, you know, contacting her about job stuff. And eventually I'm like, well, I have a new pitch. I want to show it off. I lost my last contact at Cartoon Network. I'm going to hit her up. Uh, and she said this, and this was a key question. Is it action or comedy? Because at the time, I didn't know this, but Cartoon Network's projects were split between the action side, which is like the Ben 10 you know, still relatively creator-driven, but absolutely, you know, merchandise-based stuff and everything else, which they called comedy, whether it was like, you know, to give you an idea, uh, my show fell under action, yet Steven Universe uh, was under comedy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, because I said action, uh, that was the right choice because they were doing this crazy experiment where they, you know, were doing things for this CN anything app that were just like bite-sized pieces of content. Uh, and then, you know, just trying to develop things instead of with one big pilot with weird little digital shorts just done completely in-house with a small budget and in-house uh, flash unit. Uh, and so they, uh, I had pitched one thing. They said no to it, but liked my general idea. So they like called me in for a meeting and said, hey, can you pitch us other stuff? Just like really short pitch packages, uh, five pages no longer than seven uh and i'm like okay i'm gonna try to send you guys in one per week because i was nuts um <laughs> and uh like magiswords was like the second one i i sent in they had me like filling out uh, a development uh you know little pitch thing like it, it was crazy like i was coming into places with, like these huge pitch packages that were like 15 pages long and they were paying me to fill that out. And I'm like, oh, I've been giving it away for years. <laughs> Lesson learned, kids. Um, 
And so, uh, yeah, they eventually picked it up for that, that, you know, shorter range material and then some more shorter range material. And eventually they said yes to TV. Uh, I showed yes. when after I was like completely exhausted after my wedding, um, I showed Woo. Luke all of the shorts uh, that we had made, like the three minute ones. And Luke became completely obsessed with them. Uh, and becoming completely obsessed with them was good for Luke's career <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd been talking to Luke when more stuff got picked up and uh, I had him like submit some stories. I was trying to like, basically in the process of trying to get to like, see where Luke was at, you know, in his storyboarding prowess. So I knew how to instruct him. So he would be ready to work on the show and more stuff got picked up. Uh, he, I like wanted him to storyboard like just an opening sequence. And he sent me an animatic for a full episode. Nice. nice voices uh, and music that is dedication <laughs> at its finest right there hell yeah we've been calling that luke fails upward <laughs> i immediately showed that to the overheads like one of my head executives tram uh loves all sorts of weird animation and he saw luke's episode and he's like this is like the powered by the cheat version of mighty magiswords and uh <laughs> we pretty much uh, not long from that, brought him on to do uh, storyboard revisions for the five-minute version of Mighty Magiswords. And then once we got the TV pickup, we uh, brought him on as a full storyboard artist. Yes. yes! I remember Rebecca, who was there, one of the uh, people working at Cartoon Network, uh, was there. And according to her, uh, I don't know if it was Keith or Tram that said it, but I think their reaction to seeing my animatic was... Um, Hire him before Nickelodeon and Disney finds out he exists. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that was a Keith uh, quote. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and th- another kind of side nugget to the story is I was actually out visiting uh, Kyle Lindsay in LA in uh, what was that year? Twenty thirteen, probably something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm, side nuggets. <laughs> So when Kyle first got the phone call from from Cartoon Network that they were interested in possibly turning, you know, Mighty Metasorts into something, Kyle just kind of turned to me and said, if I needed you to, like, move out here and live on my couch for two months, you know, to help me work on something, would you be willing and able to do that? And I was like, yes! And he did. And it was five months. Heck well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, so it didn't it didn't specifically happen at that time, but that's what led to me having the courage later to seriously ask him, like, you know, could I try to be a part of, you know, the show once it got into making the web shorts that came after the, the first uh, 10 three-minute shorts. And and that's what led, led to that. So I lived in Colin Lindsay's apartment for five months and learned how to use Storyboard Pro. And the super brief backstory on me is just that I have been a comedy nerd and performer my whole life of like every if any, time, any type of comedy that's out there, you know, stage, stand-up, improv, you know, comic books, puppet shows, like anything I could do that was funny – I wanted to learn how to be funny in every way possible. So I was kind of a jack-of-all-trades in comedy and also a huge nerd for, you know, both, you know, live-action comedy and animation and stuff. So um, having met Kyle through my whole comedy music thing and the Dr. Demento show and the Fump.com, which, by the way, apparently now has a fourth word in it, the Funny Music Project is now the Funny Underground Music Project, apparently, Yay. Kyle. <laughs> Gives us yes. more secrets. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> You'll work your way up to that fifth letter someday. <laughs> well, you know, now that Humpty Hump has passed on, we'll have to take the mantle and become the digital underground music project. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm actually recording from uh, the room that Luke used to stay in. We call it the Luke Ski Memorial Wing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is such an honor. Yes. So yeah, so basically, it, uh, Kyle is the reason I was able to, you know, begin my animation career at 41. Uh, oh, and, uh, yeah, that's so great. I worked on Mighty Magus. I worked on Mighty Magic Swords as the storyboard revisionist for the 25-minute episode shorts, the webisodes, and then I got uh, upgraded to being a full-fledged uh, storyboard artist for both television seasons and storyboarded with a partner uh, about 25% of the episodes that were released. I also got to be a voice actor, uh, so I got my sad card uh, by voicing a bunch of characters on the show. So I say to the elf kid, Ocarina, more like Macarena. If you don't have a grub t-shirt, you're a complete dorkus. You have one in extra stubby. What the hell am I looking at here? Which Kyle also did, which is equally as cool. Kyle is like 40% of the cast. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Still, and you guys shit. got to work with Gray Griffin. Oh yes. my gosh, we did. She's fantastic. She's so cool. Hi, Gray. So yeah, and 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 somewhere along that big long story, after many repeated appearances on uh, the weekly Funny Music podcast, where Kyle and I would invariably start talking about animation, and all the people listening would be like, "You guys should just start your own podcast." So we started our own podcast in 2013 called Kyle and Luke Talk About Tunes, and we have been posting an episode every two weeks since then. And as best as our internet research can tell, we are the longest running general animation podcast that's out there. We just posted episode 226. Whoa. Yes. Nice. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's uh, if, if, if you like what you hear of me and Kyle on this episode, go check us out at kyleandluke.com uh, and kyleandluke.libson.com. And we also have a Facebook group. Yay, plugs. That is amazing, and I can indeed confirm that you guys are very multi-talented and awesome. Thank you. For yes, real. hard, hard agree. That's all we need to talk about. There's nothing else we need to discuss. That's the end of the podcast. Well, There's goodbye, everybody. <laughs> we need to say <laughs> about <laughs> things. Watch Mighty Magisorts. It's very underrated it's on, and awesome, it, and I love it. Yes. it's it, Yeah, it's on HBO Max and Hulu, and many of the shorts are online, so... That's it. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Especially the goat episode. That that episode is a comedy masterpiece. One of the swords <laughs> is a fucking dolphin. <laughs> but unfortunately, we booked you guys for another three hours, so you're stuck here in the dungeon with us. It was in the contract that we were going to commit war crimes on all our guests. You know, I, I don't know how you miss <laughs> that part. We can't start the 9-11 jokes just yet. <laughs> I was going to say, let's start with the McKamey Manor jokes. Uh... <laughs> No, no, thank you. <laughs> Based on the title of this episode, y'all have probably already guessed what we're watching, but it is called Reanimated, a little movie from 2006. So, Kyle, Luke, what is your guys' history with this movie? I, I mean, none to speak of. <laughs> uh, you go ahead, Luke. So, my history of this movie. Uh, is that I literally had never heard of it until you asked me to be on this podcast. And from what I've picked up from context clues, there was also some kind of TV series that followed it, I assume? Yes. Out of Jimmy's head. All right, so um, remember that scene from uh, Infinity War where uh, it's like, I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? Well, what I was going to say is, I know there's a, a popular podcast out there called How Did This Get Made? I have a better question. Why did this get made? <laughs> Good question.
The answer is there is no loving God. Satan. Actually, no, even Satan would look at this and say, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, n- I never watched it, but I was familiar with it. I knew that it was a precursor to the Out of Jimmy's Head show. And I knew that the animation was done by the good folks at Renegade, which is generally, and, and frankly, no differently here, a-, a really good animation studio. It's just an unfortunate project. Yeah, like I really love Hi Hi Puffy Amiyumi. They did amazing on that. Well, that's because Hi Hi Puffy Amiyumi had a budget. Let me just start this off by saying I have nothing but respect for everybody involved. They all deserve much better. Well, minus one person, but we'll get to them. (laughs) They all deserve much better projects than this. And I have nothing but respect for the directors as well. Like I said, if I blame anybody, it's Cartoon Network and Warner Brothers. (laughs) According to the creators of this movie, Tim McKee and Adam Pava, they originally wanted this to be... You know, Cartoon Network did want to create a live-action show, but the creators, of course, wanted to do something that, you know, had its humor, but also kind of just taught kids about, you know, the history of animation. But, you know, Cartoon Network basically wanted to make their own Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide, and it shows. That's why anytime I saw any trailers for this as a kid, I thought, Ned's Declassified is playing on Nickelodeon now? Awesome! Then I'd actually watch and say... What the goddamn crap was that? (laughs) Even as a kid, I thought this looked like crap. And I watched Dinosaur 2000 on repeat. Same Z's though. What was up with that? I just love dinosaurs. What was the grip that movie had on us children? Dinosaurs. It was literally just a movie about dinosaurs and kids love dinosaurs. There we go. Mystery solved. So as I told Kyle earlier, I am not as lucky as you guys because as a kid, I fucking loved this movie and I loved the show out of Jimmy's head even more. And looking back, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. (laughs) When I was in fifth grade, I was known specifically as the kid who loved out of Jimmy's head and would talk about it incessantly. And it got to the point where I had a particular interest in one character, but we'll get to that later, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, oh, no. But yeah, just, I I watched Out of Jimmy's Head incessantly, and, you know, it's not as bad as this movie. This movie is way worse, but you can see how it almost killed this network. Because you can really tell. My assumption here was that, along with Reanimated, they also greenlit the show, you know, to coincide with that, whether or not it would fail. And I don't know why, but after the failure of both Out of Jimmy's Head and Reanimated, Cartoon Network saw fit to keep going and doing live action to the point where it literally almost destroyed the network, doing all these reality shows that did not belong there. For real. Just, or CN real. (laughs) Wouldn't it be crazy if they, uh, you know, didn't learn from the situation and tried to do it again? Man, that's never happened in the history of ever. All right. So first, I want to start off with a bit of trivia. It is commonly misconceived that this was the first attempt by Cartoon Network to do live action. Not true. They did Big Bag in the late 90s, which was basically Cartoon Network Sesame Street. And it was actually pretty cute for what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Did Big Bag have a crossover with Elmo at one point? It did. I think they confirmed that he's one of the characters' cousins. So yeah. Anyway, so 
Like I said, I thought this looked like trash even as a kid, and the only thing I remember seeing of it after that was the OK KO crossover event where they <laughs> briefly show Golly. Just <laughs> what the? I was like, that is one hell of a deep dive. I gotta say, Wait, they show him in that. <laughs> yeah, they do. Ian doesn't mess around. Moxie's in that thing. Yeah, yeah that's what I was thinking. Nice. I, I forgot his name for a minute. I was about to say the fucking Bobcat Goldwaith dog guy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so watching this fucking movie, all I could say was only Cartoon Network could have made it this bad. Like, they so badly wanted to follow in Nickelodeon and Disney Channel's footsteps with this movie. Like, okay, we're finally getting into the TV movie business like they are. Because they were also greenlighting a preschool block around this time. Like, if it were a Nickelodeon or Disney Channel movie, it'd be awful, but it makes sense why it came from those networks. Only Cartoon Network could barely know how to blend live action and cartoons this badly, which even then there's Adult Swim that actually has some surprisingly good live action shows. The Eric Andre Show, Children's Hospital. Then meanwhile, this fucking exists. (laughs) This movie, I was also not prepared for how much this movie was going to parody Disney history. Like, why not parody Cartoon Network or Warner Brothers cartoon history, for God's sake? And then I realized, oh wait, a movie like that exists. Looney Tunes back in action. One of my favorite comedies. I could be watching that. With a similar boardroom scene. Exactly, yeah. Oh my god. Everybody everybody in the early 2000s gave back in action such a bad rap. I love back in action. Back in action is far superior to Space Jam in every way. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I have not been able to see all of Back in Action yet. I've only been able to see a few clips here and there. But from what I've seen of it so far, it really does not deserve the ire it got. It's a nice, funny little movie. Hell, Space Jam 2 was better than this. And I wasn't even a fan of Space Jam 2. But you could tell there was passion in it. This is just... Guys, Rescue Rangers is a better movie than this. (laughs) Yes! I don't get why everybody's clowning on Rescue Rangers when this exists. I gotta admit, (laughs) I kind of fucking loved Rescue Rangers. Yeah, I wasn't even the biggest fan of it. Yeah, I I liked Rescue Rangers just fine. I mean, I I get the complaints towards it, but, you know, it's still... A fun movie. I didn't, but it's way better than this. Yes. Agree. 100%. Just. <sighs> Randy, do you want to go into your history? Well, first of all, I just want to say uh, we've currently reviewed two things in 2006 this year, one of which we loved, and now there's one we hate more than anything we could have ever hated in our lives. Like, Drake and Josh Go Hollywood, it, was, it wasn't a great movie, but it at least... It felt like a movie. You can still have fun with it. It's still a funny movie. It's not some, I mean, you know, Schneider comedy usually has some like cynical, you know, punching down moments, but Drake and Josh Go Hollywood was still, you know, upbeat and a lot of fun energetic this is just cynical this movie wanted to be a schneider sitcom so bad which good god like first of all you don't want to be one i guess in a way you could consider this baby's first escape from tomorrow before escape from tomorrow was even a fucking thing wait i just realized both involve a protagonist named jim yes Oh my god. I broke reality. I remember commercials for it all the time, and I just paid no mind to it because even as a kid, I knew okay, 
this is not worth my time. I, I have better things to do. And then I never heard about the movie again until Out of Jimmy's Head showed up. And I was like, that that thing with the commercials got a fucking show? And I still never watched it. So there we go. <laughs> and now I know why I avoided it. How did you guys have the self-awareness to avoid both of those things? But I got stuck with the obsession. You won the lottery. What What lottery? The shit lottery. I hope this doesn't sound the wrong way. I feel like the true neurodivergent experience is being obsessed with something you come to later think, what the fuck? Thank you. That is exactly what it is. I mean, the same time I was hyper fixating over out of Jimmy's head, I was also hyper fixating over all that. So I guess... It kind of balanced out. Another thing I've noticed is that after, as soon as Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out, there were so many movies that tried to do like the exact same thing. And I'm going to say, out of all of them, out of every single one that has ever happened, yes, including Rocky and Bullwinkle, yes, including that one, the horror movie with the cartoon werewolf I forgot the name of. This is... Evil Tunes? Evil Tunes. This is genuinely... <laughs> This genuinely has to be the number one pure worst out of Roger Rabbit ripoffs. <laughs> yeah, at least Evil Tunes 2 had boobs. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> what does this have? What does this have? Shitty pop punk? I never thought I would be on a podcast with other people who've actually seen the movie Evil Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> we reviewed a very similar cousin to Evil Tunes, Terror Tunes, which was way better than this. Oh my god. Yeah, Terror Tunes had a micro budget and it still fucking worked better than whatever reanimated was trying to do reanimated had warner brothers money and they couldn't make it look good although the the animation is like the the least of their problems here and i mean like yeah making true making you know 2006 Flash animation try to work on top of live action is a challenge especially with kids who have never acted you know, with something invisible. Yeah, I was just going to say, from my point of view, the animated characters and the voice actors that were paired with them, like, that's the actual good part of this movie. Is like that, yes. it looks good, it sounds good, those characters are funny. Like, if they actually had made full-on cartoon shorts with just those characters, you know, then that might have actually been something entertaining. You know, that's what was killing me about the beginning of this movie is that like there's a cartoon on screen and we're getting interrupted by Bill Dwyer's mouth instead. I'm like, let me watch the friggin cartoon. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. You know, the, the Warner Brothers library has multiple old cartoons and old films that serve as like precursors that inspired Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And also at the same time has the worst possible ripoff of you who framed Roger Rabbit. Absolutely. Just... God damn it, Warner Brothers. Get your shit together. So two things I want to mention before we get into the movie. So that short at the beginning actually is available on YouTube. It was a tie-in that was on Cartoon Network's website. It's called Hero in Training, and it's actually not that bad. It's kind of a bit of a basic Looney Tunes kind of wannabe, but it's cute enough. Like, That's okay. these designs are cute. Why are they wasted on this? Second, Kyle mentioned Bill Dwyer. This is going to be really fucked up, but for the longest time, I used to get Bill Dwyer confused with Bud Dwyer. 
Oh. <laughs> if you've ever heard his story. Oh, man. So now, if you excuse me, I am going to go gaslight the entire world into thinking, hey, man, nice shot was written about the dad from Reanimated. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I was Tyler. Tyler, I was about to say, I was like literally thinking to myself, did he mean like Bud Dwyer? And then I heard that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, he is talking about that guy. I actually thought he was played by Bill Fagerback for a while, and that would have been a massive improvement. Actually, like, no yeah. disrespect it to Bill really would have. If you ever come back here again, I'll cut your nutsack up. <laughs> the, the, the clip, whatever. <laughs> I defy you, Hartman. <laughs> I defy you, golly. <laughs> so yeah, getting in, getting into the movie. One of the first shots that we see, as Kyle mentioned, is the dad played by Bill Dwyer stuffing fucking sugar into his mouth literal sugar and it's close-ups of this shit johnny johnny wait yes wait this is like the reverse version of it the kid comes in like that are you fucking eating sugar (laughs) at least this is better than youtube kids i'll say that much (laughs) papa papa yes johnny eating sugar go fuck yourself (laughs) yeah it's like i i saw the opening credits that were animated and i'm like all right maybe this is going to be a thing that's you know uh tolerable and as soon as it cut to the shot of him literally eating sugar cubes as breakfast i'm like um Oh, God, I just got done watching Man of the House. Do I have to watch this? (laughs) If I ever manage to get a hold of some decent video editing skills, the first thing I'm going to do is take that scene and put one of those fucking Johnny Johnny Yes Papa things on the screen. Oh, God. God. (laughs) This guy was like inspired. He heard that song and he was like, oh, my God, it saved my life, dude. It changed me. It changed me for the better. The nicest thing I'll say about this movie at least it was better than all the YouTube kids' cocoa melon crap. That's the nicest thing I'll say. I don't know. I'm sure this is just as bad for your child's brain. So the observation I was already having in this point that like just kind of proved itself as the movie went along, it's like, okay, so I know that this is going to lead to, you know, cartoon characters coming out of Jimmy's head, like at the very least. That's how much I knew. He said it! I <laughs> said the thing. Uh, if something that high concept is going to happen relating to cartoons, then what sense does making his family and his life this cartoonish and over the top and weird? Like, there's going to be no contrast. Like, it'll have no impact exactly. if his family exactly, is this. Yeah. Like, an alien for a sister, a mom who is such an astronaut that she's wearing her astronaut outfit all the time. Like, we're already opening up with this, like, you know, Homer Simpson wannabe dad. Like, if it's already this weird, where are we going? There's no trip anymore. We're already there. So so we've got so we've got Jimmy's family so far. We've we've got his mom, we've got low budget Gamora, and we've got <laughs> and we and we've got a severe cocaine addiction. Why is Yancey Roberts? <laughs> By the way. Oh, okay. All right. I got a bomb to drop. Well, actually, I got two bombs to drop. Here we go. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. Funny that the sister's an alien, by the way. So, before I go into this, revisiting this movie is like ripping off a Band-Aid. Except my entire body is covered in (laughs) Band-Aids. And part of this, part of the reason why is, as I mentioned earlier, I I had sort of an interest in a character... So, I was down bad for Yancey as a kid. 
Oh. <laughs> like, really down bad. Like, making shitty Windows Movie Maker AMVs of her as a kid. And just, it was a, a part of my life that I was just really ashamed of. She's a huge chunk why, but, you know, this movie, so much to be ashamed of. But out of curiosity, during the beginning of quarantine, when we thought this was only going to be a month-long thing, I decided, you know, as part of a past podcast endeavor I was doing at the time, that, you know, I could see if I could reach out to some some of the cast to reanimate and try to get a reunion going. So I tried to look up, you know, what some of the actors were doing. And I looked up what Rhea Lando, Yancey's actress, was doing. And I'm just going to let this letter she writes speak for itself. Hello, everyone. You must read this email. I need your help. Things are a little bit, well, a lot crazy for me right now because Redacted and I joined the Sea Org. <gasps> you, you guys know what the Sea Org is, right? No. The Scientology organization. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah. So that's why she's an alien. Yeah. Escape like Beck. Escape like Beck. <laughs> Tyler, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be honest. The way you set that up, like all this, all, all this like suspense, I thought you were going to say she was a fucking like neo-Nazi or something. Oh, God. <laughs> she's an NFT now. I can't believe in this day and age, I have to say, oh, phew, she's just a Scientologist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I wouldn't be surprised if Reanimated got NFTs. Like, what the f- <laughs> They're back in NFT form. <laughs> you sold my soul for NFTs? <laughs> so, to summarize the rest of this letter up, uh, she basically goes into this whole thing about how she's going to have a party to celebrate getting into Scientology, but there's a paragraph that really sticks out to me that she wrote here. The Sea Org is the only reason any of us are here, and the only reason any of us have this brief breath in eternity is to go th- is to go free. In case you didn't know, no one would be OT without the Sea Org, and, well, I'm just going to say it, and I'm too uptone to even care about how it sounds. I'm a serious badass with capabilities that will clear this planet, and every day I am not there is another day lost. <laughs> Worth mentioning, Rio Lando has not acted since 2010. Do with that what you will. Again, like I said earlier, it says something in this day and age, what people get revealed as, that I have to sit here and say, oh, phew. She's not a neo-Nazi. She's just a member of fucking Heaven's Gate. <laughs> Definitely not a cult. Oh my god, just... And yeah. apparently, didn't we find somebody who was praying that she'd leave the organization someday? No. Just Yeah, so there's a real Lando Instagram that I'm guessing is made up by a friend. And the description of the account is as follows. Real Lando is an actress who joins SeaWorld. I hope one day she realizes how evil Scientology is and escapes back to the real world. I miss her badly. <laughs> that got bleak fast. I mean, that's kind of similar to what my Bette Midler fan account sounds like now. Oh no, Bette Midler. I want to say that the one, like, you know, uh, I would call it a genuine laugh, but it was more like a genuine <laughs> kind of moment was... The reveal that he goes in the kitchen and the mom is an astronaut, fully wearing the astronaut, you know, lunar gear. Like, I was like, <laughs> that's kind of funny. And then the sister turns around and the sister's an alien. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's actually kind of interesting. And then he goes off to school and we don't see them for like a good half hour. I'm like, wait, go back to the interesting. 
What was that? <laughs> like, you know, again. I'm sorry. I know we keep talking about the character of Yancey, and I know we're jumping ahead, but her and Sonny have the best scenes in this movie, in my opinion. Oh. I would watch a movie comprised entirely of just Rio Lando and Matt Knudsen just bouncing off of each other for an hour. Hello! Keep it down. Have you ever heard of knocking? Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe you couldn't hear me knocking over your insane ranting! Oh, I mean, if you want to steal his brain, just steal it. You don't have to announce everything. Like when I use the bathroom, I'm not like, and now I shall use the great and powerful bathroom. <laughs> Concept is good. Now imagine how good that movie would be if the two actors had any chemistry whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> this is where Gamora is now. That's why she hasn't found the Guardians yet. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow she went back to 2006, too. I don't know how she did it, but she did it. That's a multiverse of madness, I'll tell you. <laughs> ah, waka waka. <laughs> She's living with this family, and now her brother is Kid Dexter? What the hell is that about? I swear I kept thinking he was Devin Werkheiser for the longest time. because Yeah, no, he played Kid Dexter in the flashbacks in the first two seasons. Oh my god. So when I was, when I was watching that show for the first time, and he showed up, I was like, Wait, what the fuck's he doing in this? Now another character's got his brain fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of the cast, can I just say that the voice cast deserves so much better? Like, how do they make Paul Rubin sound so bored? Fucking Pee-wee! By giving him a character with no personality traits. Just Mickey. Just a ripoff of Mickey. That's it. <laughs> it's literally what we were going back to with Freddy the Frog, where it feels like Paul Rubens and to some extent Tom Kenny are just literally phoning their lines in. I'd argue Tom Kenny is easily the best voice actor in this because he actually is playing a character and not just reading off of a script. Like, they managed to make Paul Rubens, Ellen Green, and Brian Posen all sound so disinterested, and I can't blame them. Tom Kenny at least is trying. My god. Even if he's just playing a Fozzie knockoff. I can see perfectly why Paul Rubens didn't come back for Out of Jimmy's Head. They got Carlos Alice Rocky to play him so now if i watch out of jimmy's head more i'm gonna be just saying oh god i'm expecting golly to say fairy godparents (laughs) sorry folks it was my first roger rabbit ripoff and i'm still getting used to my programming (laughs) (laughs) but what i was gonna say too was you know if warner brothers really needs a mickey and minnie ripoff they're warner brothers i'm sure they have access to plenty of the characters from the 30s they use those fucking like foxes or whatever their names were like uh, one thing i could tell you guys as somebody who worked there there actually is uh, there isn't any more but there actually is like despite being owned by the same people like a division between the companies so they couldn't just like freely and easily use uh warner brothers stuff on uh cartoon Network oh yeah projects. that makes sense uh, they can now but they couldn't then copyright is so weird it's like it's 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 in the same house but you have to treat it like you're, you're trying to borrow your older sister's clothes and then she comes in like <laughs> you took my clothes you little brat <laughs> no, mom no i will say this quickly about out of jimmy's head It's not good. It's not a good show by any means. It's pretty bad, but it's slightly more watchable than this. It's better animated. It is, but also the laugh track. The fucking laugh track, man. One thing I will say about Out of Jimmy's Head is that I remember specifically when they first put in the laugh track, because I watched the show incessantly, 
And it didn't ruin the show for me, but it just confused the hell out of me because you have this show that is very clearly not filmed like a sitcom. And, you know, you're trying to force people to find the show funny, which, you know, I don't really think I found the show funny, but just still something drew me to it. I don't know. God. I mean, there's a lot of things about this movie that are so cynical that they nearly bring me to tears. But, you know, that is one of those, like, that means that there was somebody who made the executive decision, because I don't think it was the people who were actually, you know, creating the show. That means there was somebody who had made the decision, maybe they just don't know when to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because with this movie, I was not laughing that much, if at all. Something I wanted to interject is, I remember being a little, little kid watching Scooby-Doo like every morning before school and stuff. And I really love Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo, the original episodes have a laugh track. So I remember in my being a kid, you know, logicking out like, okay, well, obviously this is an animated show. I guess in my mind, I figured out, well, what they must be doing is they finish the episode and then they bring in a studio audience and they show them (laughs) the episode and record them laughing at it. (laughs) And that's where the laugh track comes from. So yeah, so I assumed that this cartoon had its own studio audience of people watching it, and then they record that, and then they add that to the sound later. Yeah, Luke, I also had this childhood misconception as well. Well, you see, Luke, they actually had to animate the laugh track. They had to animate the studio audience, but they ne- you never saw them anyway. It's a terrible strain on the animator's wrists. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that episode of The Simpsons that they did apparently live where they were like animating it (laughs) in live time. I don't know. (laughs) So we're doing everything in our power to not talk about this movie. (laughs) We got the part with the dad eating the sugar. We got the part with the mom and the alien sister. Now we're at school. Uh, I will say the opening song was kind of good only because it reminded me of The Offspring. And then somehow this movie managed to get Bowling for Soup, which Bowling for Soup later on had Phineas and Firm. They didn't have to do this shit. So fun fact about this song called My Greatest Day. Are any facts about this movie fun, really? <laughs> no. <laughs> <That's> yeah, <that>. valid. <laughs> well, I mean, what's interesting is that this song got licensed for a lot of different movies. One of them being something that was covered on Escape from Vault Disney, Ice Princess. That's right. Oh my god. It, it yeah. was it was Ice Princess or Go Figure. Go One figure. Keep, Go figure. I, I keep getting them mixed up. They're, they're the same movie to me, essentially. Uh, are you saying that Disney has a formulaic process where they keep making the same movies over and over again? How dare you? Gasp. Yeah, the audacity. <laughs> Every DCOM is its own unique jewel. <laughs> When this song came up at the beginning, I was like, oh my god, listen to this band trying to sound like Bowling for Soup. Then I saw the closing credits. So we meet Jimmy's love interest and his friend Craig and Robin, and fuck Craig, man. Craig is a little bitch. Yeah, Craig is just the most self-centered, obnoxious, best friend trope, if you can even call him that. Because all he does is throw Jimmy under the bus directly so he can hang out with the cool kids who don't even like him anyway. And about Robin, here's the thing. I'm not going to spoil what it is, but they give her one of the big twists in the movie. And yet somehow she still manages to be the blandest fucking character. And I feel bad because I'm sure the actress is a nice person, but, and I'm sure the actor for Jimmy is a nice person as well. 
Whoever did the acting directing for the kids in this movie did not do a good job. I'm sorry. No, the direction in this movie is a nightmare. I think everybody here is talented enough to have carried this concept, but the script is terrible and the directing is terrible. There are a few directing things that I want to point down in particular. Um, So first of all, like in this first school scene, we just kind of see a llama in the classroom and we don't know why. Cause random XD. Well, it's not just random. What are you doing here? Like you see in the closing credits that there is a kid who is like named like uh, animal loving Kevin or something like that. And so all of these animals are tied to this one kid, but there's no like direction that tells you that there's no like establishing shot. Oh, here's the kid with the weird animal. That's his trait. No, they just kind of throw him there in the background. So it's just this unexplained joke the whole time. Uh, and very similarly, it's just wacky. Yeah. And very, well, not just wacky. They're not even like pointing out the wackiness. They're not telling you their wacky joke. They're just like putting it in the background and expecting you to pick up on it somehow. Similarly, Sonny's always like talking to his, I think he's talking to his money bag. But like, oh yeah, he keeps calling it mittens. mittens. Keeps calling it mittens, but it's like the whole time I'm like, who is mittens? And like, eventually I pick up that it's the money bag he's talking about. But there's like, you, yeah. you they don't frame it but so why you does see he have the, the money, money bag? bag. He's not rich. It's it's something he stole earlier. But like, it's like it's a it's a, again another running gag that they didn't put a fine enough point on. So you'll even get the joke, whether the joke's funny or not. But like, even if they put some like everything everywhere all, is, all at once, uh, like googly eyes on the money bag, then you're at least given a fighting chance to understand this joke. This movie doesn't even care about its own bad jokes. And you have the bit in the beginning too, where Jimmy's dad is like, "Hey, can we run some errands on the way to school?" And it cuts to him dropping him off at school, and he has a whole bunch of balloons and dogs in his car. Well, why? Because wacky. And also, he's the principal somehow. Yeah, let's 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 talk about this principal scene because. Good God. Seymour Skinner was not nearly this incompetent. My God. His dad being the principal is, it's like, goes from being a hat on a hat to a hat on an open wound. Yeah. Yep. Jimmy's dad is literally a toddler-minded man. He is more than likely destroying not only Jimmy's psyche, but every kid at that school. The stomach scene. Oh, God. That was one of the scenes I actually saw once when I was scrolling through channels and I just went, nope, and, tr- and flipped immediately. Jimmy's dad draws on his, on his stomach and pretends to be Robin so he can coach Jimmy into asking her out for the field trip. Hi, Jimmy. It's me, Robin. Ooh, I wish I had a big, strong man that I could go on the tilt-a-whirl with. How about a kiss? I think this might have been the moment when I first screamed into a pillow. (laughs) To quote Quentin, what a normal thing to happen in this kid's movie and not the writer's poorly disguised fetish. Just, oh my god. I scrummeted. Apparently that word is finally getting popular now, and yeah, I scrummeted. So, by the way, speaking of actors this movie wastes, Fred Willard is in this movie. How did they get Fred Willard in on this? I mean, Fred Willard says yes to everything. And he was good in this, but there, he wasn't there long enough. One year before Wally, which, by the way, if Apple Day Studios is supposed to be Disney, does that mean they bought some version of Pixar in that world and then they made a Wally in their. I don't know. This is going to go <laughs> down a train. So they're basically hyping Golly World up to be this whole Disneyland XB, which is like 
coolest thing in the world, but it's literally just... Six Flags? Above average Six Flags. Itchy and scratchy land looks so much better than this. My God. Suffers from from what I call Wally World Syndrome. (laughs) Wally World looked fun. Like, Wally World was over a a Six Flags, sure, but it was a Six Flags with a ton to do. And the interesting thing about when they cut to the theme park is... That, along with, you know, the the quality of the animation is like, this movie has, like, occasional trace evidence of actually having a budget. It's like... Yeah, all those suits couldn't have been cheap. Yeah, exactly. It's like... like, Yeah, no kidding. For all these, like, one-off characters they invented, they made some high-quality suits for them to wear. That only show up in, like, one or two scenes. The entire budget for this movie went into those costumes and the Bowling for Soup song. Yeah, and let's mention, too, the fact that the Bowling for Soup song gets played three times in this movie. I counted. (laughs) Well, they paid for it. They might as well use it. (laughs) Well, although, guys, like, the kind of the point I want to get across here is that, at least in my opinion, I don't think the budget was this movie's problem. Like, if the writing had been good and the directing had been good, and good writing and good directing does not cost more than bad writing and bad bad directing, uh, it could have been, you know, a perfectly tolerable or actually good piece of fluff that just happens to have, you know, low budget uh, effects and, and, uh, you know, just whatever sets they could afford. Like that's not the problem with this movie. It's like makes it all the more obvious. It makes you think about it more, but if you were just having a good time watching this movie with like good characters and a good setup, you wouldn't care about all this budget stuff. You would be like, Oh, I wish they were able to pour a little bit more money into this. But you would be like, I'm having a good time watching a movie. The budget isn't the problem. The writing and the directing is the problem. It would at least be charming. There is nothing charming about this movie. Also, Milt Appleday name names. You can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> Milt name names. Oh, Milt name names. Oh, Milt name names. Yeah, Milt name names. Like, <laughs> this whole thing is literally just like, you know, a parody of like, you know, Disney and a weird low budget Tom Hanks saving Mr. Banks, Walt Disney. So Golly is supposed to be Mickey. Dolly is supposed to be Minnie. I guess the Croco alligator is supposed to be Goofy. So Tux was supposed to be, I guess, a mixture of Fozzie and Donald Duck because what? I, I felt like he was just SpongeBob. That's it. He was SpongeBob. He's just there to be a Fozzie knockoff, and that's it. Because he even does the zing after every joke. Which carries over into the TV show, and yes, it does get worse. Uh, poor Tom Kenny. Yeah, no kidding. So jumping into what basically kicks the plot off is that some kids are going by the urban legend of... Oh, actually, you know what? I need to mention, Flo from Progressive is in this movie. She has oh, a free cameo. What dirt did they have to get her in on this? See, to get her in on this, she had to be a fledgling actor who needed work. (laughs) She does get one line that I like when one of the kids is questioning the myth about Mill Appleday's brain being frozen. She starts screaming at the kid and goes, I heard little girls who spread lies get kicked out of Golly World and sent to the FBI. Also, apparently Mill Appleday died because of his addiction to licking this edible paint, I guess. it's There had to be lead in there. Get it? It's an allegory for Walt's nicotine addiction that killed him. Which just feels sad now because Fred Willard is no longer with us in real life. It's <sighs> Not from licking paint, sadly. I get it's supposed to be dark humor, but it just comes off as mean spirited. Yeah. Mean spirited uh. in this film? What? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, no I kidding. Actually, it was it's such it's such an original and edgy take to do a mean spirited take on the Disney Corporation of Walt Disney. That's never been done before. Hey, Luke, while we're being very clever, let's go do an Abbey Road cover. <laughs> <laughs> also, the fucking Mouseketeers parody they do. It just made me want to watch the Frogateers skit from Muppets Tonight again. Like that's actually oh, God, yeah. Stew. <laughs> so Craig makes a bet with some of the damn weeder kids and makes Jimmy find the brain of Milt Appleday, which is apparently located in the Notterhorn. I could be watching the further adventures of Walt's Frozen Head free on YouTube, an actually really cool movie. Go check that out. So Jimmy somehow has a screwdriver on hand to undo the safety restraint, which by the way, he's sitting next to Craig and if the restraint is all janky now, Craig is definitely going to go flying out of that car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't stand how many things that Jimmy did just because he finger quotes had to. Like, they didn't really establish any stakes as to what would happen if he didn't. He's already a loser. There's nothing particularly good about these kids he wants to get in with. His best friend's a jerk. Why is he doing any of this? Because movie. That's why. Well, I'm going to complain anyway on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Because the main character is always supposed to be a punching bag no matter what. He's like, you know, made the bunt monkey of this movie, but he's not even a fun bunt monkey because, like, he hasn't been set up to deserve any of it. Like, I wish he had been at least maybe a little bit of a jerk. Like, you know, maybe he, maybe if they, like, made him feel, like, entitled to popularity in some way. It's like, I'm the nicest guy and everybody treats me like a jerk. Then it would be, like, at least a little bit yeah. fun to see him get knocked around. For that type of cartoon, you need to use incel animation. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to this scene this ride is somehow home to a giant underground ice cavern and this is where we meet the villain of the movie Sonny who's been stuck down there for 30 years because it's literally stated in the movie that Milt Appleday hated his son so much that after Milt passed away and made him CEO of the company and it failed he was banished to live down there for some reason. So not only is Milt Appleday Walt Disney, he's also John Lennon? Yeah, yeah just what the crap is just, this movie? And apparently being trapped down there makes you proto-Jim Carrey Robotnik. In the body of Andy Merrill. Basically, it's following the fantastic logic of, hey, child abuse makes for a good backstory, right? It's clobbering time part two. Well, since he's going to go through the rest of the movie, like, trying to kill a child, I guess that checks out. (laughs) So we get to the scene where Jimmy gets in a literal train wreck, which is just how this movie is summarized. Just watch the scene. If you're listening to this, if you're able to, pause the podcast right now and go get reanimated and go watch the scene of him getting hit by the train. I'll I'll give you a few seconds. It should be a meme. It's, okay. It's gotta be a meme. It's- okay, you're back. Did you watch it? Did you watch it? Yeah, I know, right? I know. (laughs) I thought that this was a dream sequence until I realized, oh, this actually goes along with the logic of the stupid movie. (laughs) Because I thought for sure this is how the Jimmy Isekai starts, because he got hit by Train Coon. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So the best way I can describe this effect of Jimmy getting hit by the train is that this train is going five miles per hour. Jimmy runs towards it. He gets hit by the train. And he bounces like 
a hundred feet away <sighs> in the weirdest ragdoll janky CGI effect that just it's it's a hell of a feat. This movie may be a piece of shit, but that is one of the greatest moments in cinema history. This makes Gmod look like it had a budget. <laughs> in the words of one Dr. Emmett Brown, It'll be a spectacular wreck. Too bad no one will be around to see it. <laughs> and also, I love how the hospital scene has them dressing in costumes to do the surgery. Like, that's sanitary. <laughs> that's your issue with that scene? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the fact that Mickey Mouse is treating a patient at a Disney hospital. I wish it had actually been Paul Rubens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this hospital on Main Street, which, side note, it sure is a good thing they can use that without the Disney lawyers getting on their asses. <laughs> they don't own the concept of Main Street yet, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll trademark that in a few years, give it time. But somehow they have a real hospital on Main Street and all the costume characters are licensed surgeons. Are there people who try to go into labor in Golly World so they can get lifetime passes? <laughs> no fucking kidding. Has yeah. anyone been declared dead at Golly World? Yeah, me. <laughs> this isn't true, by the way, I don't think. But you ever heard the myth, nobody has ever been declared dead at a Disney park? This is the opposite of that. If you died there, you're declared dead there, too. You died here, but you're president now. <laughs> so why does Jimmy need a brain transplant? If he flew all the way across the park, he probably hit a wall. If he's not dead from the brain damage, he's definitely dead from his organs being smashed. He needed a lot more than just brain surgery, trust me. So if his brain is that damaged that he needed a transplant, it's too late at that point. <laughs> just, just pull the plug. <laughs> Sorry, no out of Jimmy's head for you, because Jimmy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> out of Jimmy's funeral. <laughs> so that's not all because it turns out one of the doctors just so happens to have Milk Appleday's brain in his fucking lunch cooler. Why? That brain is not going to be useful at all if it's been 30 years. <laughs> Look, guys, years. after everything we've already been through in this movie, this can't be where your suspension of disbelief ends. <laughs> <laughs> My suspension of disbelief is dead. My suspension of disbelief has been taken to the backyard, curb stomped, old yellered, and <laughs> left there to rot. And shit on by a pigeon. Hey, uh, I need to go to work now. So, uh, oh, uh, Kyle, uh, so you know that thing I do where I review things on podcasts and I always, like, defend them uh, and, you know, try to see the silver lining of things? You know that thing I do, Kyle? Uh-huh. Yes. Don't worry about doing that uh, for me in my behalf. Just okay. go ahead. <laughs> cool, cool. Oh, shit. Are you sure we don't want to reschedule to do the second I, half? I, I, have li I have literally already gone through all of my notes on this. <laughs> Valid. Good call. Good call. Because I could not bring myself to write any more. Although I will say, putting myself in your head at the time, you know, and your age when that came out, I can see simping for Yancey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if there was just a sitcom of her, basically, I would be marginally interested in seeing that because she's like the one interesting, funny character in this whole thing consistently. Yes. Agreed. You get it, Luke. I will admit it. In the alternate universe, where as a kid, I decided, you know what? I'll check this out. 
I probably would have been in that phase where I think I just really, 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 really want to be besties with her. Yeah. <laughs> Face uh, the Yancey Roberts pill. Minus the Scientology, of course. So, Luke, if you want to quickly give your rating, our rating system is keep the tapes, recommend, put in the donation box, kind of fence-sitting, burn the tapes, do not recommend in the slightest. Which one is yours? Um... If there was a way to extract the cartoon elements and give them their own actual cartoon show and then burn the rest, that's what I would say. Yes, valid. Yes, that's good. <laughs> Those designs are cute, though. I, they deserve they better. Are. Yes. They really do. And you already plugged your stuff anyway, Kyle. So, yeah. I mean, Luke. Yeah, I keep getting you guys mixed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you plugged your stuff, Luke. You can, you, can, you can get out of the dungeon. Thanks for having me on, but curse you all to hell for making me watch this. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> so Luke has left the dungeon. <laughs> so we get our first thing of Jimmy waking up in the hospital and the cartoon characters jump scare us. Okay, but before that, the doctor mentions that he saved Jimmy's personality gland. <laughs> you. That's... Personality glands don't exist. Oh, come on, you cheater. That's not how brain surgery works. Go fuck you yourself. You fucking cheater. <laughs> to paraphrase uh, Power Rangers Megaforce, there's a very good explanation for that. Also, they're making Jimmy go to school the day after he got a life-saving brain transplant. Why? He's gonna get his brain damaged again. Like, Sonny will be able to grab the brain, movie over. (laughs) I was in the hospital with mild pneumonia for one day, and I still missed two weeks of school. (laughs) At least. Also, Kit, you get name-dropped in this movie. Yep, I get the KIT mentioned at the autograph scene, and I'm just like, gee, thanks, movie. I would have been happier just being ignored for the rest of my life. Thank you. (laughs) Well, at least I still have Kit Cloud Kicker, so there's that. (laughs) I swear there was an American Girl doll that was in the depression named Kit too. Kit Kittridge, yeah, I own her. That's the she one. I did was not have her. An American girl doll. <laughs> I never had American girl dolls, but I had like a book themed around her that was just like an educational book about the Great Depression. That shit was banging. So these cartoon characters finally show up in this movie and let me just say this. Like I said, I'm sure there was an attempt to make this animation look good, and it was giving me the vibes of those really badly photoshopped My Little Pony images you find on DeviantArt, where, like, people say, Fluttershy comforts me. (laughs) Oh my god, I know exactly what you're talking about, and that's a whole genre of art is dudes just photoshopping PNGs of My Little Pony characters and pictures with them to make it look like they are dating. Those look better than this. My god. Whatever image you're thinking of, yes, that's the one. This is a whole genre. I'm gonna be the outlier here and say that this animation isn't bad, but when it's blended with live action, especially with a kid who is not used to acting with cartoons, a la Roger Rabbit, it just doesn't work as well. 
the Alice comedies were made with like caveman methods of movie making and they were still more convincing than this. You could tell they didn't do the thing like they did with Roger Rabbit where they had somebody on set pretending to be the cartoon characters because it doesn't look natural mm. at all. The difference between most of these and this specifically is like these characters being Flash characters from the mid-2000s were specifically designed to be Flash. Right. Like, the, the newest that they could possibly look is, like, 60s style. And so, when you have characters that are specifically designed to be flat, and you have them interacting with a live-action character, that does admittedly make it a little bit more of a task to make it feel like they're in the same universe. True, true. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Man, Golly is such a little asshole. I fucking hate Golly Gopher. Say what you will about Mickey Mouse being a symbol of capitalist greed. He's still nowhere near as big an asshole as this fucking gopher. <laughs> Mickey is a likable symbol of corporate greed. Golly gopher <laughs> is what happens if you make Poochie a main character. That is what Golly Gopher is. I mean, I kind of get what they were going for since Golly kind of has to go a little bit psycho later, which is probably also why they hired Paul Rubens, who is like good at that kind of like freak out. Yeah. But unfortunately, like they didn't give him anything likable for that to be built onto. Like, I think if we had seen some more of the actual cartoons earlier, because like it was already driving me nuts that we weren't seeing the cartoons just because I like to watch cartoons. But like when you at the beginning of Roger Rabbit, see the Roger Rabbit short and then see them coming out of the Roger Rabbit short. Like, you instantly know who Roger is and why you should care about him. With Golly, you got nothing. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's how Roger Rabbit was able to make three awesome cartoons after the movie. Because Roger is such a likable character. Every single character feels like they've always been here. Golly just... My god. How does a character manage to feel both timeless and dated? The thing about Golly is that he has the energy of a very washed up star except when you should know his work you don't at all exactly i wish they had spent more time on the fun history stuff that they had just kind of touched on like when we're in robin's room and we see that like poster she has of the timeline of the different ways that golly gopher has looked over the years i'm like no show me that explain that to me give me some reason to care this movie is mostly talking. That's another reason this didn't appeal to me at all, because it's barely about the actual cartoon stuff. It's just mostly boring talking scenes. This feels like the images that you create in your head when you're reading a really bad fanfiction. Also, they go into the kitchen and basically make a huge mess out of everything and almost get Jimmy in a lot of trouble, although his dad's way too carefree to actually care. This is how I know Jimmy's dad is a psychopath. Because the motherfucker makes chocolate milk by putting the chocolate in first, 90% chocolate by the way, and then he pours like a little bit of milk in. Barely any milk, if any. My god. What does Jimmy's mom see in this guy? Oh, would you look at that? It's the plot point in that movie where a creature or something is in a child's home and oh, it's making a mess and being crazy and the kid has to clean up the mess before mom sees. That's never happened before, ever! E.T., Gremlins, Lilo and Stitch, Drop Dead, Fred, you, na you name your pick. We didn't start the fire! <laughs> Bless Ellen Green, she's an amazing actress. I don't know what it was, but her audio as Dolly just sounded so muffled, so when the crying scene happens, I was just like, this is not even remotely convincing. 
Just, my God. <laughs> also, another thing about Jimmy's dad that pisses me off, he willingly lets someone who's trying to con Jimmy's family, this of course being Sonny, he literally takes like a fucking rent the room here sign and pretends to be a college student. And Jimmy's dad just goes with it when his mom is like extremely uncomfortable. He's going to get these people killed. By the way, this fucking guy is literally like the worst possible combination between Robbie Rotten and Jim Carrey, Dr. Eggman. Good God, he really is. Bless Matt Knudsen. He's trying. He's a good comic actor. He's done some stuff that I've seen him in that is way better than this, but it just ain't working. If he was trying to be subtle, then maybe he shouldn't be dressing in a big old Professor Fate cape and looking like evil Paul Williams, evil Jack Nicholson, etc. Like, And the stupid fucking fake mustache, too. <laughs> Which the they movie rip- even addresses it's fake. The, they basically rip off the UHF scene with the mustache. Just, and that's not <laughs> funny in this. I think he knew that thing was a dog and he might as well have fun while he's in it. Like, I, I can totally like, you know what? They've given me scenery. I'm going to chew it because otherwise this movie will have nothing going on. It's not to say he was good, it just means, you know, at least he had fun, and I'm happy for him for that. Uh, he was trying. Yeah, it builds onto the whole, if this universe is already a cartoon, then what impact does cartoons being in it have? But if there was any acting chemistry between him and Jimmy's actor, then it could have actually worked. Because, like, if you really think about it, it is kind of a parallel to what we've seen more recently in the Sonic movies. And, you know, Jim Carrey, arguably actually works in those because you've given a cartoon character, a cartoon villain to play off of. And, you know, he can match that energy. Exactly. But since nothing else in this movie works, this concept doesn't work. Exactly. Like Sonic manages to blend cartoon live action perfectly. My God, Sonic looks amazing. And you totally buy his and James Marsden's chemistry in these movies. Like here, there's just none. Exactly. And also because I have to be like this. Also, Matt Knudsen was giving me Alfred Molina Snidely Whiplash vibes. That damn it! Like, <laughs> God damn it, Kit, go to your room. <laughs> I'm in my room. <laughs> go to your bathroom. We get the scene where Jimmy goes back to school prematurely, of course. And he meets up with Craig. And Craig is just insufferable here. He literally says... Oh man, you got hit by a train and then you totally ditched me. It's always about you. He almost died, you ungrateful prick. God, he's such a little fucking shit. He's he- Craig is the Manetta of this movie. <laughs> he really oh my God, is. I understand that reference. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta catch up on my hero academia. <laughs> <laughs> Word eventually gets around with Robin and she eventually takes the Jimmy's side. And then later we get the part where Sonny eats dinner with the family. When we got to the brain slash gravy part of the scene, I almost cried from feeling insulted. It's like, oh, we're <laughs> yes. yep. they think that they can jingle their keys in front of me and I'm going to laugh like a little baby. Uh. That's not funny in the slide. <laughs> And basically, these cartoons are thinking that they can make Jimmy much more tougher and more able to stand up for himself, when all they do is ruin his life even further. Just, my God, there's no winning for Jimmy. It's sad. This is a cynical fucking movie. It really is. The moral of the story has some very fucking mixed messages. It's either be treated like shit by your fake friends, 
or be treated like shit and forced into a job that you don't want because somehow, despite the fact that he's a 12-year-old in middle school, because he has Bill Appleday's brain, he gets the job as the new CEO and he's placed with the task of saving the company. Ah, uh, yes, you're a kid with no experience leading a company whatsoever, a company that's clearly already kind of struggling to stay relevant. I'm sure you'll... F- oh my god, it's a metaphor for Roy Disney taking over. <laughs> Say it with me, kids. Child power fantasy. What Milt would have wanted. Can we talk about how it like completely fails to be a child power fantasy? Because I think that's like the thing that this movie has been in a disturbance of the worst. Because, like, the idea is, I'm a kid, and I'm in charge of an animation studio. Should be this super fun, awesome thing. Um, Jimmy doesn't care about cartoons, and they made that very apparent in the first scene of this movie. You have another character, Robin, who's way into cartoons. It would have been way more interesting to see Robin be in charge of this studio, because she's super adores everything about the history of this. She's got this room that's completely dedicated to loving these characters. That would be satisfying to see. That's why the mask is satisfying because Stanley Ipkiss loves cartoons and then he gets to become a Tex Avery cartoon character. Thank you. Set up and pay off. It's satisfying. This isn't satisfying at all because Jimmy doesn't want to be there. It's always great when someone brings up the mask on this podcast and it's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Semi-related, but... How the fuck did Neil Flynn get more to do in this than Very Merry Muppet Christmas Movie? For real! Just what the crap? He doesn't have any lines in the Muppet Christmas Movie, and he's still the funniest part of Scrubs, or at least one of them. Yeah! And in this, he just plays boring businessmen. Did you guys notice the other cameos in the boardroom scene? Yeah, Tom Kenny was one of them. Yeah. And Jill Talley, uh, his wife, who also plays, uh, oh, yeah. and who plays Karen, Jill she's also in there. God. Also, we forgot to mention in the dinner scene that when uh, they're introducing Yancey to uh, Sonny, they mentioned that she's adopted. No, she ain't. She's an <laughs> alien American. It's fun. Oh, Jesus. That pun was awful. Jesus Christ. I thought, you know what? Out of all the things this movie is, at least it hasn't been racist. God damn it. Then she makes the comment about how that's like saying all Belgians can juggle. It's like, of course she picks a predominantly white country. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course she does. Otherwise, they're going to get letters. That's the Scientology way. (laughs) I've never heard that stereotype before. Is that a real stereotype? That's because they made it up. That's the joke. To any Belgians listening to this podcast, please uh, let us know. Is that a stereotype that you guys can juggle? (laughs) One of the only chuckles I got out of this movie was during the scene where Dolly's trying to help Jimmy flirt with Robin and the word disease floats at him. I'm like, oh God, it's 2020. Uh, By the way, all of the Jimmy reacting to Robin scenes was just the most painful, cringy version of that trope I have ever seen. Secondhand embarrassment. This movie invented it. My God. No, you know what's fucked up? It's not just how painfully awkward it is. It's how forced the awkwardness is. My God, it is. This is like that one person who like pretends to be awkward and it's like super annoying. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, I, I, uh, uh, oh, oh, this is, oh, my, this is terribly awkward, but I, 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 I wanted to tell you something, but I, I, oh, I, oh, I seem to be so charmingly befuddled. Another thing that fails about the child power fantasy is that they show how boring it is to be a CEO. Like, Jimmy's doing exactly. paperwork. It's so exciting. You know what it should have been like? It should have been like UHF. Exactly. Oh my gosh. There was the scene where they were all like dicking around the studio, you know, messing with a bunch of stuff. And that's when I kind of realized, okay, I feel like this is just like a failed attempt at a child power fantasy movie that ended up basically being a child escape from tomorrow. If this movie was made 10 years earlier, you know, they would have gotten Macaulay Culkin for this. Sure. Also, side note about the child power fantasy and the scene where Jimmy and his friends are walking past the film reels. I was half expecting him to say, and here's where we keep all the reels for classic movies that we're eventually gonna burn. Have you guys seen Freddy Got Fingered? Oh, God! Yes! Hot yes! <laughs> take, that movie slaps. <laughs> Daddy, do you want some sausage? <laughs> yeah, so Tom Green's character, you like see all of his ideas for stuff and you see him pitching them at the beginning of the movie. Like, if they had like made Jimmy somebody who doodled in the corners of his notebooks and like maybe he drops it and Robin picks it up and he's like all nervous. Oh my gosh, she's going to see my dumb drawings. And she's like, hey, there's some really good ideas in here. Then we see him become the CEO of an animation studio and bring some of those ideas to life. That would have been satisfying. Yes. And that would be relatable. Is it cliche and predictable? Yes. Is it still an infinitely better plot point than whatever the fuck we got? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When even Sharkboy and Lava Girl got that right, you know you fucked up. (laughs) I mean, if Robert Rodriguez had directed this, it would be a much better movie. (laughs) Yes. Or Joe Dante. Oh, Joe Dante. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yes. So on to what I was talking about with the moral of this movie being so horrible. Jimmy is essentially gaslit by Golly into running the fucking company just so he can bring him back, despite the fact that Jimmy very clearly states that he wants to be a normal kid. I failed to see how Jimmy was being a jerk in the scenes where he's standing up for himself. Like, they're all, oh, he's all high and powerful now that he's a CEO. And I'm like, because he's been stepped on by everyone. Let him. Because the cartoons in my brain told me to. Yeah, like, the thing is, is that Golly is basically hanging the fact that Jimmy told him he would do a favor for him over his head, but, like, at the same time, let him be a kid. He's 12 years old, he'll get to your favor whenever he feels like it or whatever. Yeah, nobody learns crap in this movie. Just, ugh. Meanwhile, Golly hasn't even been in the movie long enough to have any emotional impact at all. Like, he's already a bland character. And, you know, there is a little bit of something of him, like, going psycho. But, like, you don't get any feelings from that because it takes too long for him to be in the movie. And we don't really have enough of the chemistry between him and Jimmy for us to feel that. Oh, man. And during basically what Stanley Spadowski's clubhouse, Mouseketeers, whatever, Jimmy does like a scene where he gets slightly frustrated while directing. Ooh, so bad. And he yells (laughs) at his friend. Oh, so horrible. Oh, my God. And then Golly takes that as an excuse to be misogynist and say, oh, man, women are crazy. Am I right, Jimmy? Ugh. To be fair, he's from the 1930s. Actually, no, that's still not fair. Fuck you, Golly. I don't care if your bitch ass is from the 1930s. <laughs> <laughs> I will still literally 
start shooting at you with dip. Also, they imply that one of the most villainous things Sonny has ever done was that he tried to make Golly all hip and with it. And I'm just like, you know, this would be funny if they went like, say, the cartoon scene in the Country Bears movie and just went all out. Hell, do it like how they show the itchy and scratchy history, but no, they don't delve up enough into it. Yeah, they do it with this scene where Sonny is voicing him, but he literally just pastes his mouth over a fucking cheap PNG of Golly, and just, I know I was saying that the animation in this movie isn't that bad, but at the same time, it doesn't have the right to criticize other people's animation at all. Check it, check it, check it, dog. <laughs> ruined me so robin of course has to get kidnapped because girl (laughs) which super sucks because they set her up as like really capable and intelligent and she still ends up tied to the friggin' railroad tracks yep (laughs) super quick i also want to touch on the fact that the alien girl has to like babysit sunny and then she becomes like his mom and it's really (laughs) weird and it's really uncomfortable and i don't (sighs) like it I actually kind of thought those scenes were funny, though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They do have a decent chemistry, but it's like, creepy undertones. (laughs) I mean, it's not as creepy in the show. Which, quick side note, I do want to bring up that they actually recasted Robin and Craig in the show. And they actually gave him a racelift, so they were actually black in the show. That was an interesting decision, but... Eh, what can you do? Uh, so the actress who played so the actress who played Robin in the show was a young starlet by the name of Tina Tinashe. She's kind of a TikTok star musician, pop star. Yeah, ooh, okay. She was also in the cinematic classic The Polar Express. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good yeah. for her. She's living her best life, and I love that. And so they do a little animated sequence of Golly dressing Jimmy up as a knight, and it's like. Why? You could have just animated this whole sequence. It looks so cool. Yeah, he just puts magic dust on him and now he's a cartoon for like 10 seconds and it's just wasted entirely. Yeah, I wish he had just stayed animated for the rest of that sequence. It made no sense to switch back. Yeah, why not? Take a wild guess what was in that dust. Oh dear. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's another thing too is that Jimmy has a realization in the middle of the show that he's filming live that he doesn't want to do this anymore, and he wants to be a kid again. And the movie ends with all the kids at Craig's party fucking chastising him, despite the fact that him and Robin nearly died. God! You ungrateful pieces of shit. So the whole thing is that, like, everyone's, like, mad that Jimmy's not at the party. They see the thing on TV, and it doesn't go well. But they stay at the party... Why? Also, they're still selling that edible paint, even though it killed a man? Like, what the crap? Yet another metaphor for the tobacco industry, I assume. Also, as if this didn't want to be a Schneider product enough, there's a really gross shot of a guy with his feet. Ugh. That was legit <laughs> vomit-inducing. Also, there's a joke where the dad thinks Sonny's the mom in disguise. I don't fucking know. Just, just... <sighs> You know what? Just just, just burn the tapes. Burn everything. Just leave no traces of this movie. Tyler, you forgot the DVDs! Ah! Uh, okay, burn those too. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> My god, 
this, how did this make it to series? Like, how? How did the executives not watch this movie and say, all right, no, this series is canceled. Screw it. Good God, this movie was terrible. I mean, that might have been part of the initial order. That's my theory. Not unlike Jimmy Neutron or the aforementioned Wonder Park where, you know, there was a series attached to it. They just didn't finish it. True. Or it's like the Disney afternoon shows that start with a movie. It's like, you gotta start strong. (sighs) This started just, this started fucking depressing. This is just, my God. Just just burn it. Burn it all. Burn fucking... Give me the dip. I'll take care of those little shits myself. (laughs) I try to be open to most cartoons that seem to have mixed reactions in the animation community. I'm not one of those people who thinks only Disney and Pixar and Studio Ghibli can do good and everything else needs to burn. I try to keep an open mind for basically any sort of kids movie, any sort of cartoon. But this is as bad as everybody was saying it is. I'm sorry. It is. It's worse. Sometimes things just suck. (laughs) And and Cartoon Network let this be the deciding decision to start a whole live action block, including child-friendly ghost adventures. Oh my god. And this was when Cartoon Network was having a great time, too. Like, they had Fosters. They had Hi Hi Puffy on Miyumi. They they had Camp Laszlo. Yeah. Man. The creators worked on Fosters, and I'm convinced that if Cartoon Network just left them the hell alone, this would have been something great. Like, man, I don't even yeah, know just, what to say anymore. Yeah, what, what, what's, what about you, Kyle? What do you think? Oh, did I enjoy this? No. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Kyle died. I have a lot of friends who worked on the animation side of this, and I don't have a problem with the animation side of this. To reiterate what I was saying before, the problem isn't the budget, the problem is the writing and direction. Like, how much meddling there was is definitely you know, a factor, likely. Absolutely. I don't know what happened behind the scenes in that respect, but I can tell you that, you know, looking at the product, like, I can get back the fact that there's, like, you know, simple flash animation going on in the live action. If there were characters I cared about, if there was a story I cared about, if, like, the setup and payoff made any sense whatsoever, I could have enjoyed this movie I didn't enjoy this movie. And like I said, I don't blame the creators or any of the people involved. I mostly blame Warner Brothers because they were probably just meddling with this movie so badly. My God. God, Yeah. Because I uh, know a number of people who worked on this movie, it was a little late in the game, so I wish I could have gotten more people replying. But I did like say, hey, I'm going to be in a podcast talking about Reanimated. I know some of you folks worked on it. Uh, are there any stories you can tell me? And I did get a handful of things. Uh, first, uh, Sean Toshikian, who did not work on this, but you know worked with a lot of people who did, he did mention, uh, since it was a Flash series, it was a lot of crossover crew with Fosters, so I know many stories, but none through direct experience. Like, if I find out any of those later guys, I will let you know. The animation director, Scott O'Brien, who I worked with on the Animaniacs reboot, had a few things to say. He said, ooh, I have stories, nothing too crazy, though, and then he listed a few of them. Uh, He said, I remember Jimmy's house was a real house that a family rented out. Uh, They checked into a hotel during the shoot, but they came back and we were still shooting and were upset to see their house all effed up. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, he says, uh, the amusement park staff was shot partially at the Universal backlot. The train stuff was shot there, too. Oh, wow. The amusement park stuff was shot at this small amusement park called Scandia, a Scandinavian-themed oh, yeah. amusement park uh, huh. about an hour cool. east of L.A., which actually passed by during a uh, family trip recently. 
Oh, yeah, I live near Wisconsin. Oh, that's so cool, yeah. Kit, you need to go now. Yes. Scott mentions you can do so many things simpler now. I think out of all the animators, we only had one Cintiq back then. The Dark Ages. Mm. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. There were definitely tablets then, but Cintiqs were just starting to show up. So no drawing on the screen. Got to hope that your eye-hand coordination's good. Uh, And Mm. let me tell you, folks, uh, I was there professionally for a while. It is a struggle, but it was at least a lot better than doing flash animation by drawing on paper, inking it, scanning it and digitizing it within flash uh, because that takes a while. Oh, jeez. Scott says that kid was a great actor. Dominic was his name. The writers were improving lines and giving him new things on the spot. And he'd remember it was damn impressive. Oh, good for him. The hospital was this creepy abandoned hospital in L.A. somewhere. Eerie abandoned halls, wires hanging from the ceiling. (laughs) Oh, my. my That place has ghosts. That place has ghosts. That movie's cursed. No wonder that scene looked like a creepypasta. (laughs) Okay, you know that Shudder series, Cursed Movies? Now they're morally obligated to the animated one. Yes. Pernell Hayes, who worked on the production side of things, said it had the most comfortable crew shirt. I wore that thing for like 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) You got Poltergeist, you got The Omen, and you got Reanimated. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, okay, on that kind of subject, uh, this is not somebody who worked on the movie, but apparently, are are you guys familiar with Joe Bob Briggs? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The guy who does drive-in? Yeah, exactly. So he apparently referenced this movie recently. What? Uh, An animator friend of mine, Charles Philip Moss, says... Joe Bob Briggs referenced it at a double feature screening last week. He goes on to say he presented two brain themed movies, the brain and brain damage. He went through a history of brain themed movies leading up to reanimated from CN. Everyone laughed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So yeah, that's everything I had on my thread. If you have anything else, feel free to forward it to us. We'll put it on the Twitter. Yeah, Yeah. if anything else pops up, I'll I'll send it your way. If I ever meet E and JQ, I've got to ask him if he remembered putting in Golly Gopher into the... (laughs) <laughs> to the big crossover. Oh, he he absolutely did. Ian is not unlike myself. He misses days on Cartoon Network when they had all the crossover stuff and the interstitials. Same. That, that's why I had uh, his character in my last episode, and that's why he did that. Like, yeah. he's a fan of all of oh, this stuff. Cool. He didn't want to leave anything mm. out, and so he made sure absolutely everything was in crossover Nexus. He knew exactly what he was doing. Before we go off mic, by the way, I do have to ask, have you ever worked with someone by the name of Andy Sturmer? No, but I'm a big fan. I really love his work. You know, I know his band, The Jellyfish, but I found out about them because of all that music he wrote for Puffy Amiyumi, not just for the yes! show, but that whole album's yeah. worth of Puffy Amiyumi stuff that he wrote is just so good. Heck yes. Go listen to Spilt Milk by Jellyfish and yes. shout out to Andy Sturmer yep. for being such a good fucking composer. Hell yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. So Kyle, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, well, I used to make a show on Cartoon Network called Mighty Magiswords, uh, which is also in CrossFit. Nexus. Uh, but uh, you can watch it on Hulu or on HBO Max. I have a podcast with Luke who left earlier called Kyle and Luke Talk About Tunes, which is available wherever podcasts aren't sold. I have a band <laughs> called TV's Kyle, uh, which you can hear at tvskyle.bandcap.com or also any place else where you hear MP3s. And uh, you can look at my artwork on Twitter at uh, TV's Kyle, TVSKYLE, no apostrophe because they don't allow them. <laughs> All right. You can find me over on the usual social media. You can find me on various episodes of Escape from Vault Disney, various episodes of the Emperor's New Podcast, Podcast Without a Cool Acronym, and you can find me just 
I don't even have a clever pun for this one. You can join me just putting this movie on the train tracks and just sending a train over it. Oh my god, Galaxy's Edge is going to go through Golly World. <laughs> oh, oh no. I don't know. All right, Randy. Uh, you can find me at Cosmic Rewind on Twitter, replace the E with a three. You can find me uh, at the same username on uh, YouTube. You can also find me in all the aforementioned podcasts Kit was on. And you can find me shoving Golly headfirst into a bucket of dip until I stop seeing bubbles. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> all right. And as for me, you can find me on the usual spots TylerFG on Twitter. TylerFG96 on Instagram. You can also find the show on Twitter at channel underscore KRT, channel KRT podcast, all one word, on Instagram. We also have our Discord server and our Facebook group, which you can find in the link tree in our Twitter bio or in the description of this episode. And if you want to help support us, you can also check us out on Patreon, where we have exclusive minisodes, outtakes, and episodes of this very podcast at its earliest convenience. And of course, thank you so much to Gomer and Chris Rana for pledging to us at the $10 level. Thank you to friend of the show, Andy HG, for helping me with the new theme song that you heard at the top of this episode. And again, thank you so much to anybody and everybody who's helped support this podcast. Whether it be just listening to a minute of an episode to every episode we've done, or rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. It just, from the bottom of our heart, it means the world to us and we can't wait to keep this crazy podcast train a-running, so thank you so much. And with that all said, Channel KRT, Episode 50, Cut to Static! Woo! Kazoo Boy! At what cost? At We're what free! Cost? <laughs>